Ezekiel 36, that's, that's where we're going to be this morning. So my wife, Sydney, and I, we have been married uh, for a little over nine years. Our wedding anniversary is in April, April 29th. If you want to get us anything, it'd be cool. Um, we've been married nine years, and one of the things that those of you who are married know, that just means for nine years, I've been making mistakes as a husband, and she's been forgiving me. And so I have made so many mistakes um, being Sydney's husband, but my first mistake as a husband actually came the night before we got married. And so we'd had our wedding rehearsal. If you've ever been a part of a wedding, uh, you know the way that this works. You go to the chapel with all your friends and your bridesmaids and your groomsmen and your family, and you just kind of do this little practice run through of what's going to happen the next day, you know, during the big ceremony. So we have our wedding rehearsal. Then I start packing up all of the stuff and we're loading up in the car and we're headed over to Mark and Martha Ezel's. They actually worship with us here at Ethos. We're going to their house for the rehearsal dinner. And I'm in the car driving down 19th Avenue because we were getting married at Scarrett Bennett. I have the stuff in the car. I have my friends in the car. I'm driving uh, to this huge party for us. And my phone rings. And I look down at my phone and it's one of those like, oh no moments. If I wasn't in church, I would label it something differently, but it's like this, oh no moment. Cause I looked at my phone and on my caller ID was Sydney's name, which instantly meant she was calling me because she wasn't in the car and she wasn't in the car because I forgot her at the chapel. <laughs> and I'm like, this is like the worst beginning to marriage ever. You know, like <laughs> I've already forgot my wife. And so I just freak out. I pull the car over. I, I get out of the car. I'm running. I don't even know why I'm running. She was just driven back, but I'm like running back to the chapel. And I'm trying to decide if I can get on the premises of the, the chapel before I can open my phone and answer it. But I wasn't fast enough. So I answer the phone. I'm out of breath. I'm like, hey, what's up? And, and she's like, hey, uh, where are you? And I really wanted to lie. I mean, I was just trying to figure out a way to lie. But I said, I'm on 19th Avenue. And she said, why are you on 19th Avenue? And here's the moment of truth. I said, because I forgot you. And... There was this moment of intense fellowship that erupted between <laughs> Sydney and I. Someone called a fight, but it was this deep, intense fellowship where she was like, how can you forget me? Like, we're getting married. How could you forget me? And I'm trying to figure out how could I forget her. And, and uh, we're riding over to the wedding, and I'm trying to joke my way out of it. There's no way I can joke my way out of this one. And we get there, and... You know, for a while, we couldn't even joke about that moment in our relationship because it was so painful. But now, every now and then when I really mess things up, she'll just look at me. We're folding laundry. She's like, how'd you leave me on our, you know, she'll just like bring it back up. I need to teach her more about grace. And so there's this, this moment where I'm going, man, what, what would it have felt like to have gotten at the party and to have had all the stuff and to have had all my friends and to be there in the house with all the food, but to realize that I forgot the guest of honor. I go, man, it would have been a miserable party. Would have never lived it down. And I was thinking about that moment this week as we've been preparing as a church family to talk about the Holy Spirit together. And I go, man, I think this is a word for us because I believe there's maybe no greater temptation for us as the American church than to throw a really great spiritual party and to leave the guest of honor in the chapel. As the American church, if you've grown up in church, I don't know your story or not, but we've gotten really good at throwing the party. We've gotten really good at putting together the, the deal, and if you have the right venue, and if you have the right speaker, and if you have the right worship team, and if you have the right programs for families or for college students or whatever it is, then you can draw the right crowd. And the truth is, most American churches could do everything they're doing without the Holy Spirit. And my question is, if we can do what we do without the Holy Spirit, are we even the body of Christ? 
And a lot of us have found ourselves in the party. We're in the spiritual party, and we realize that it's not that we've left something behind, it's that we've left someone behind. And all of us have different stories. I don't know what your experience is or your knowledge is of the Holy Spirit. When we talk about the Holy Spirit together, I want you to hear me clearly. We're not talking about a power. We're not talking about a presence. We're talking about the third person of the Trinity, of the Godhead. God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-existence since the beginning of time. And for the next few months, we're going to be talking about that together. What does it mean for us to be a church family that is not only spirit-filled, but spirit-led for the glory of God and the joy of his people? And I go, and yet for a lot of us, we can do this church thing and leave them behind. And we do this for a variety of reasons. Some of you have unintentionally left the Holy Spirit behind in your lives just because you've been the product of bad teaching. And so maybe you remember that story in Acts chapter 19. There's this little church, uh, little group of Christians, and the Apostle Paul shows up in their city and he says, hey, do you all have the Holy Spirit? And I love their answer because it's so honest. They look at Paul and they said, we haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. Some of you maybe grew up in churches like this where you talked a lot about God the Father and Jesus the Son, but the Holy Spirit was that that weird second cousin that no one ever mentioned and just kind of this weird, what do we do there, right? And some of you have left the Holy Spirit behind because you've been the product of bad teaching. Some of you left the Holy Spirit behind uh, because it's been the product of bad experience. And so I remember I went to a Christian college, had a great experience at that university, but my freshman year, I show up and on my floor is this group of guys that had known each other for a few years, followers of Jesus, just amazing men, talked about the Holy Spirit all of the time. Maybe you know some of these people, and I'll just be honest, this will kind of show you my, my flesh, my flawlessness, or my flaw nature, whatever I meant there. <laughs> I'm flawless, welcome to Ethos. And, uh, <laughs> You know, I met these guys, just amazing followers of Jesus, talked about the Holy Spirit all the time. And to be honest, they were just the weirdest dudes I've ever met. And I thought, if that's what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I've got enough of the Holy Spirit. I I need just enough of the Holy Spirit to be saved if he's going to make me look like them. Have any of you ever felt that before? And some of you have left the Holy Spirit behind because of bad experiences. Somebody has been weird. Maybe you've been around someone that's abusive. They've done things in his name that are not of him, and you've rejected the Holy Spirit unintentionally because of bad experiences. I don't know where you fall on the spectrum, but wherever you're at, I believe that all of us have something to gain as we talk about the Holy Spirit because most of us have been under-discipled when it comes to the ways of Jesus. A lot of us have not slowed down as we've gone through the Gospels enough to notice that Jesus Christ loved the Holy Spirit so much. He was in such a deep relationship with the Holy Spirit that he told his disciples in John chapter 16, it is to your benefit as the people of God that Jesus would ascend to heaven so that the Holy Spirit could come upon the church. Jesus says, it is better for you to have the Spirit indwelling than Jesus Christ walking among you in the flesh. Crazy thought. And so the next couple of months, wherever you're at on the journey, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you have studied the Holy Spirit a lot or not, I want to ask you to have the courage to come into this place with one simple posture. Wherever you are on your journey, is it possible that God longs to give you more of himself? Is it possible that God wants you to to have more of himself, to know him, to enjoy him, to walk with him more fully? I have a pastor friend here in Nashville. A few weeks ago, he heard we were studying the Holy Spirit, and he said, oh, ethos is getting all weird. And I'm like, dude, we've been weird for a long time. We're just getting biblical. And uh, he's like, why are, you, why are you guys studying the Holy Spirit for so long? 
And I thought of this verse in Ephesians chapter one. I don't know if you take notes, but I'd encourage you to write down this passage. I'm gonna give you two passages to write down and you can memorize these over the next couple of months because these are gonna serve not only as our focus, they're gonna serve as the target, the goal for where it is that we're going. But the first passage is Ephesians chapter one, verse 17, where Paul is talking to this group of Christians and his prayer for them is simple. And this is my prayer for us as a church as we go into this next season. He says, I pray that you would have more of the Holy Spirit. They already had the Holy Spirit. He said, I pray that you would have more of the Holy Spirit. And this is the punchline. So you would know God better. I pray that you'd have more of the Holy Spirit so you would know God better. Ephesians 1.17 or another verse for you. 2 Corinthians 13 Verse 14, where he's talking to this really jacked up, broken church, much like us, and he says, I pray that you would know the grace of Jesus and the love of God the Father and the friendship of the Holy Spirit. And I go, my prayer for us as we study the Holy Spirit is not that our hearts would tingle more as we worship, although that'd be awesome. And it's not that you'd become some sort of super Christian. My, my, my prayer is that as we study the Holy Spirit of God together is that in the next couple of months, you and I would develop a deeper friendship with God himself as the Spirit of God wells up within us. And so that's where we're gonna go. So we're gonna start in Ezekiel chapter 36. And I just wanna kind of lay this on the table. This is a really weird chapter for us to begin with, especially as we talk about the Holy Spirit. We could have picked hundreds of chapters. Uh, but there's a reason we're starting here. If you've read through the Bible, you get to the book of Ezekiel, and there's this group of people called the Israelites, and God had blessed them in unbelievable ways. He said, I want to use you as my representative so the rest of the world can see how great God is. And he had given them this incredible charge, but they'd kind of messed it up. And you get to the book of Ezekiel, and what you begin to discover about the Israelites is these men and women had more spiritual access to spiritual goods and services than anybody else on planet Earth at the time. They had, more, they had more access to the temple. They had more access to the pastors and the priests and the worship leaders. They had their spiritual feasts. They had their spiritual writings. They had everything you could ever want if you wanted to know God deeply. But what you see in Ezekiel 36 is that spiritual access for the Israelites had not led them to spiritual intimacy. And so God looks at these men and women who had all sorts of access to spiritual goods and he says, what you still need is a renovation of your heart. What you still need is the presence of the living God to invade your life. I don't care if you grew up in church. I don't care who your parents are. I don't care what school you go to. What you need is the presence of the living God to invade you. And I was thinking about the people in Ezekiel 36 as I was preparing this series for us. Because I go in so many ways in Nashville, we are so much like the Israelites. We live in a time and place where we have access to more spiritual goods and services than almost anybody else on planet Earth. We have temples on every corner. We have Christian universities. We have Christian nonprofits. We have Christian music. We have Christian ministries. We have Chick-fil-A, which is like Christian chicken. I mean, we've, we've got everything Christian, right? I remember more than 10 years ago moving to Nashville going, man, in a place like this, with all the spiritual access, surely there's spiritual intimacy. And what I began to discover pretty quickly in my time in Nashville, it's what so many of you have discovered, is that access to spiritual goods will not make you more like God. Only the divine outpouring of his presence in your heart will. And just like the people in Ezekiel 36, we need God to do a work among us. 
We need God to do a work within us and through us and for us, for his glory and our joy. So Ezekiel 36 is the place to pick up, and it's so much great news in this chapter. We're actually going to study it two weeks in a row. And this morning, I just wanted to see the big picture. We're going to start in verse 20 together. And it begins like this. This is God speaking, and he's talking about the Israelite people. He says, and wherever they went among the nations, talking about the Israelites, he says, wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. They distorted, they disrupted, they abused the holy name of God with the way that they're living their lives. For it was said of them, these are the Lord's people, and yet they had to leave his land. So God said, I had concern for my holy name, which is the house of Israel has profaned among the nations where they've gone. So therefore, says the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord has said. It is not for your sake, O Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you've gone. I will show you the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned, the name that you have profaned through your actions among them, and then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign God. When I show myself to be holy through you before their very eyes. Verse 24. For I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries, I will bring you back into your own land, and I will sprinkle clean water on you. You will be clean, I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. We'll talk about this next week. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, and I will put my spirit in you. And I will move you to follow my decrees, to be careful, to keep my laws. And you will live in the land that I've given your forefathers. And you will be my people. And you and I will be your God. This is the word of God out of Ezekiel chapter 36. And this morning, I just want our hearts to bask. I want our hearts to soak in three monumental truths about who God is and what it means to walk in the power of his Holy Spirit. And if you take notes, I want you to notice this first monumental truth because it comes out of verse 20 and 21. And this is the big idea from those two verses. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to the spiritually bankrupt, not God's reward to the spiritually elite. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to the spiritually bankrupt, not God's reward to the spiritually elite. So I'm not sure where I got this uh, false idea, but I, I grew up most of my life believing that the Holy Spirit was God's reward for righteous living. So I kind of thought, okay, there's some of us that are just normal Christians. You know, maybe you know what I'm talking about. There's some of us who have been saved by Jesus and we're gonna keep struggling with sin and we're gonna keep fighting it out and we're gonna keep trying to read our Bible. There's some of us that are normal Christians then there are those men and women that are super Christians. And I remember for a long time just kind of living in this lie that there are normal Christians, and then there are those that have the Holy Spirit, as if the Holy Spirit was God's cherry on top, as if the, the Holy Spirit was God's reward for those who had lived really good lives. And if you don't hear me say anything else today, I hope you hear this. The Holy Spirit is not God's reward for righteous living. The Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to live righteous lives when we can't do it. The Holy Spirit is not a reward to good people. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to the spiritually bankrupt, to the broken, to the, the men and women who know they can't do this on their own strength, on their own accord, on their own power. I love this. Jump back to verse 20. I want you to notice uh, the place where he starts this promise. 
Because the place where God begins the promise is so key. He starts in verse 20, look back with me. He says, and wherever the people of Israel went among the nations, they profaned my name. In other words, God had said, you're supposed to be my representatives. Instead of representing God, the Israelites actually repelled people from God. Some of you have done this with your lives. Some of you have made a sport of this. Some of you have done it accidentally. We've all done this in some way. We were designed to be image bearers of God, and instead of bearing his image faithfully, instead of representing him well, there are moments when people look at our lives and go, man, if that's what it looks like to follow Jesus, I don't want anything to do with him. I want you to notice this moment. This is where the promise begins. He says, you had profaned my name. You had wrecked my image among the nations. And jump down to verse 27. And I will put my spirit in you. And I will put my spirit in you. This is one of the most amazing gospel-soaked truths in all the Bible. Is that God does not help those who can help themselves. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. God helps those who can't help themselves. And just like Adam and Eve, when they were laying there in the dust with no life in them, the Spirit of God came and breathed into them and brought them to life. So it is with you and I. When we are at our very worst, God is at his very best. Who is the Holy Spirit of God for? The Holy Spirit of God is for men and women just like you and just like me who can't keep our lives together. The Holy Spirit of God is for those of you who are struggling with secret sin that your spouse still doesn't know about. The Holy Spirit is for those who struggle to worship and to honor Jesus with their lives. The Holy Spirit is for those of you who don't yet have the courage to step into the calling that God has placed upon you. The Holy Spirit is not a reward for the spiritually elite. He's a gift to the spiritually bankrupt. And I love this moment because he looks at the people of Israel and he says, I want you to see just how broken you are so you can see how beautiful this promise is. See, this is the nature of who God is, right? Because God, when we're at our very worst, is always at his very best. And God's answer to sinful living is always drawing closer to sinful people. And so what did God do when our lives were broken and full of sin? Did he send an angel? No, he sent Jesus. He came closer. What does God do with the apostles in John chapter 20? Maybe you remember this. Jesus gives his closest friends the Holy Spirit, not when they're at their very best, not when they're in the front row of a Hillsong conference, singing and praising and dancing and living into their purpose as a human being. Jesus Christ comes to his disciples right after they had failed God, right after they had run from the cross, and when they were at their very worst, Jesus Christ shows up in their brokenness, and he says, here is my Holy Spirit for you. I was thinking about this with my son Micah a few weeks ago. He's four and he was being kind of disobedient, just had one of those days where he wasn't listening to Sydney very well. And so I came home and I thought, okay, maybe I can help him listen better. And it wasn't working. And so all night long, we're just punishing this kid. Everything he does, go back to timeout. He's burning a hole in our floors, you know, making this little trail through the hardwoods. And he just keeps going back to timeout. And eventually I'm like, I don't even know what to do anymore. I don't know how to get this kid to be obedient. You know, some of you have had this feeling before. So I go back to his room. I'm out of words as his father. I don't know what to say. Mike is there in the corner. I'm like, come here, buddy. He's mad. He's crying. He comes to me. And uh, I don't know what to say, so I just start hugging him. And he doesn't want me to hug him. He's like trying to stiff arm me, but I'm stronger than him. I can dominate him. So I'm, I'm, I'm hugging this kid. And then he starts to relax, and I just start kissing his head. And I'm like, buddy, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And he just starts kind of softening. And we lay down on his bed. And 
I just keep telling him how much his mom and I love him. And I was thinking of that picture this moment when you see the way that God comes to us in our brokenness with the Holy Spirit. God knows that when you're at your very worst, what you need more than anything is the nearness of God. And I love this, this picture, and I hope your heart will soak in this, is that the Holy Spirit is for those of us who know we cannot honor God unless God invades us and helps us out. And so here's the, the first picture out of Ezekiel 36 that I want you to notice is that the Holy Spirit is God's gift to the spiritually bankrupt. But you get into verse 22 through 27, and I want you to notice the second kind of spiritual truth for our hearts to soak in this morning. It's not just that the Holy Spirit is God's gift to the spiritually bankrupt. The, the Holy Spirit is God's gift to the spiritually bankrupt. Here's the big idea number two. It's available to the spiritually bankrupt because Jesus has done everything that needs to be done so we can receive him. The Holy Spirit is available to broken people because Jesus has done everything that needs to be done so that you and I can be indwelled by the Holy Spirit. So earlier this summer, some of our good friends allowed us to go down to their beach house, this amazing moment, and they're like, hey, you and your family can come stay at our beach house, and if any of you have beach homes, it's a great way to tell us you love us, just heads up. And so they're like, go down there, you can sleep in our beds, you can eat our food, you can ride our bikes, you can enjoy our stuff. And so we had this amazing moment where we're sitting on the balcony of our friend's beach house down in Florida. And I had this moment where Sydney and I were sitting there talking, and she said something so good to me. She said, we're sitting here soaking in the generosity of somebody else's efforts. You know, we didn't earn this. We didn't work hard for this. We didn't pay for this house. We didn't pay for the food or the beds or the bikes. We didn't do this. It's somebody else's efforts that have allowed us this unbelievable pleasure. And I go, this is the, the beauty of the Holy Spirit. It's not just that God gives his presence to the spiritually bankrupt. It's that God has done everything that needs to be done in the person and the work of Jesus Christ so that you and I, sinful creatures, can become temples of the living God. That as followers of Jesus, we get to walk around in the generosity of God's efforts. And to be a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit of God is not about you striving or straining for more of God. It's about you and I surrendering to the reality that on the cross, Jesus has done everything so that you and I can swim in the generosity of God's presence. Three of my favorite words of the entire Bible come at the cross when Jesus is dying he exclaims out loud, it is finished. And there's not enough time in the human story for us to encapsulate the significance of what was happening in those three words. But there's this moment where Jesus is dying on the cross for all sin, past, present, and future. Everything you have ever done in your life, you have committed, and Jesus knew it in, in, in the forefront of his mind. Every sin you committed has been a future sin in relation to the cross, and Jesus died for it, which is amazing. And in that moment, he exclaimed, it is finished. In other words, no more striving, no more fighting, no more yearning for that which God has freely given you in my life and my death. There's this moment, and I wish we had more time to dive into it. As Jesus dies on the cross, you need to go back and read the story. It says that the curtain of the temple there in Jerusalem was torn in half. And all of a sudden, the presence of God that had been kind of symbolically held within the Holy of Holies was now made available to common people as Jesus Christ takes the sin of the world upon his shoulders. Like, oh, here's the most beautiful reality. It's not just that 
the Holy Spirit is God's gift to the spiritually bankrupt. It's that God himself has done everything that needs to be done so spiritually bankrupt people like you and I can become the dwelling place of God's presence. I go, this is amazing. God says, here's the gift and let me pay for it. Here's the gift, let me do everything that needs to be earned. For so much of my life, I misunderstood this and I found myself, maybe some of you have done this. I'm like, I know I'm a Christian, but I want more of you, God. And so I found myself just doing some really stupid things. And it's not about you striving, it's about you surrendering to the reality that Jesus has done everything that needs to be done so his presence can fill you more fully. I love this picture in Ezekiel. He gives us these huge truths about who God is, that the Holy Spirit is God's gift to the spiritually bankrupt. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to the spiritually bankrupt because Jesus Christ has done everything that needs to be done so you can receive him. And here's the third piece. He's God's gift to the spiritually bankrupt through the work of Jesus for the glory of God. For the glory of God. Why has God given us the Holy Spirit? It's not just so our worship services will be more fun or tingly or cool or whatever it is. God does not give us the Holy Spirit just so we have more freedom to worship like our parents are too stiff and they can't worship. No, the the Holy Spirit inhabits the lives of broken people through the work of Jesus Christ for the glory of Jesus Christ. Look back at verse 22 and 27. These are the last few verses we'll look at. I love this moment in verse 22. He says, it is not for your sake, O Israel, that I'm going to do these things. It is for the sake of my holy name. Now, this is, this is important. We're not going to spend much time on it this week, but this is a really big idea. God does not give you the Holy Spirit to advance your name. He gives you the Holy Spirit to advance his name in his glory and in, in his goodness. Jump down to verse 27. He says, and I will put my spirit within you and I will move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep all of my laws. So uh, I love this, this moment. He says, listen, not only is God gonna give you the gift of his presence and not only is he gonna purchase that gift through the life of his son, Jesus, he's gonna use his presence through Jesus in you so that the world will see just how great God is. So that your life can start living for the holiness and the glory of his name. You know, I told Sydney this other night, we're sitting on our couch, and I looked at her, and I said, I am such a glory thief. She's like, what? That's, that's weird. What do you mean by that? Speak layman's terms. And I'm like, I've been thinking about the sermon. I said, I'm a glory thief. I spend my whole life unintentionally working for my glory, my good, my joy, my comfort, my security, my fame. And I need God to do a work in me so that I can start living for his glory, his fame, his, his ways. All of us on some way or on some level are glory thieves. We, we love being in the center of the, the spotlight. You see this most when you take a picture with your friends, right? A group of people take a picture of you and then they turn the phone around and they're like, hey, how do you like this picture? What is the determining factor for you if you like the picture? How you look, right? And so we took family photos this summer. My brother came and took them for me, Sydney and our two boys, and he sends them back to us the other night. And she shows me one of the pictures. I'm like, oh, that's an awesome picture. And she's like, our boy's eyes are closed. I hadn't even looked at them. <laughs> I just looked at me, honestly, and I looked awesome in it. And I'm like, how big can we blow that up before it starts to distort? You know, just, just, this is how we live our lives. It's how you live your life when the Holy Spirit's not driving you. We exist for ourselves. 
And yet this miracle takes place when the Holy Spirit really takes center stage in our life. He begins to push us off the throne of our own hearts. And we begin existing using our one life for his glory and his glory alone. I go, you get one life. We get one opportunity at this thing as a church. I go, how do you want to spend your life? Whose glory do you want to work for? You know, so many times uh, people come up and they'll say, Dave, I want more of the Holy Spirit. And my first question is always really simple. I go, why? Why do you want more of the Holy Spirit? Because if you want to just use the Holy Spirit to get after the things that you're after, you don't need God's help. The truth is none of us need God's help to make much of ourselves. We're quite proficient at it. But if you want to use your life, if you want to die to yourself, if you want to use your life for the glory and the renown, the fame of God, then you need every bit of God's help you can get. I was thinking about this on Friday night. I don't know if any of you saw the story on Kent Brantley. He's the American doctor from Texas that um, caught Ebola when he was on a missionary journey working with patients that were dying of Ebola. He came back over to the States. He's a Christian. In fact, we have several people in our church that went to college with him, just this amazing man of God. And one of the cool things about his testimony is it's being broadcast all over the world. People are seeing the goodness of Jesus in Kent's life as he suffered with this unbelievable disease. And there's this statement that he made, this beautiful quote on Friday night in that little documentary. He was talking about the moment he realized he was diagnosed when he thought he was dying. He's laying there on the table and he said, God, even if you don't heal me, not only will I never deny you, I will spend the rest of my days proclaiming your fame. Even if you don't heal me, I won't deny you. Man, I will spend the rest of my days proclaiming your name. And Christians all over the world have been praying for a miracle. We're like, God, heal Kent. And I just want to be clear. We'll talk about this in our Holy Spirit series. I believe God is still healing today in amazing ways, doing incredible things. And I believe God can and will and is healing Kent and can do incredible things. But I want you to notice that even if God doesn't heal Kent, we've already seen a miracle in that man's life. And the miracle is we're watching just an ordinary human being Surrender his glory for a greater glory. It is not an ordinary thing for a young, successful doctor to take his young, beautiful family and to move across the world to serve those who will infect him and maybe even kill him. It's not normal for someone in the midst of their suffering to lay on a hospital bed and instead of crying out, God, why? Keep crying, man, God, I want to proclaim your name. I go, it is a miracle to see someone live for the glory of God. And I go, don't miss that. I go, do you want your life? Do I want my life? Do we want our lives to exist for God's glory that we need God's help? And God says, you need my spirit. And this is the thing that we, we will be soaking in for the next few months together, is that the Holy Spirit is this incredible gift from God to the spiritually bankrupt. He's been made available to the spiritually bankrupt through the finished, perfect work of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He's been given to the spiritually bankrupt through the work of Jesus for the glory of God and God alone. Like, I have no idea where your hearts are. I don't know what your spiritual story is. The truth is, there's so many days, I'm not even sure where my heart is. But this morning, I just want us to, to have a clear view of where God's heart is in all of this. And I hope you saw this. Isn't it amazing that God looks at us in our brokenness and he says, I want my presence to dwell with you. What is the heart of God? The heart of God is that his presence would fill you up, would overwhelm you, and would move you towards his goodness and his holiness, and Jesus has done everything to make it happen.
And so this morning, we're going to take communion. I want to just invite you to close your eyes, and I'm going to read one passage of Scripture over us. First, to just reflect on these are the words of Jesus, and I wanted to end with an invitation from Jesus to us this morning out of John chapter 7. And this is Jesus himself talking about the Holy Spirit. And I want the words of Jesus to just soak, soak into your hearts, wash over your lives this morning. This is our Lord speaking. If any one of you is thirsty, let them come to me and freely drink. Whoever believes in me, says Jesus, just as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from within them. By these streams of living water, Jesus was referring to the Holy Spirit, whom he would give to those who believed in him. Listen to this passage again. This is from Jesus. If any one of you at ethos is thirsty, if any one of you are struggling with sin, if any one of you have hearts that have been ravished by secret brokenness and darkness and pain, if any of you are struggling to live for God, if any of you are thirsty, let them come to Jesus and freely drink. Whoever believes in Jesus and his work, what he's done, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this, Jesus was referring to the Holy Spirit, the one to whom he would give to those that believed in him. Father, I love you. And it's amazing to think that you would give us the gift of your presence through the work of your son for the glory of your name. God, to think that that is true is hard for me to grasp and it's hard for me to understand. But Lord, this morning, I hope you would help us to see that the gift that we have been given is a reflection of you, the great gift giver. And that it's not that you've just given us something, you've given us someone. And Lord, I just pray this morning that streams of living water would erupt in the lives of our church family. For those in here that are Christians, your scriptures already tell us that when we have faith in you, that's evidence that we already have the Holy Spirit. And so I just pray, Lord, that this morning that you'd unclog the dust of our hearts so the uh, streams of living water would flow more, more freely through those who are followers of Jesus. For those that are not yet Christians, God, would you just help them to see this monumental truth that you want to invade their life when their life is at its very worst, that God, you want to dwell within them when they're at their most broken moments, and that's all because of Jesus. And God, I just pray this morning that you would begin renovating hearts of those that don't yet know you by the power of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would help us as a church family to run back to the chapel, to pick up the guest of honor, to make sure that we don't come in this place throwing these parties without the very one for whom we were made to enjoy. God, I pray that we would have more of your spirit among us so that we could know you better and enjoy the grace of Jesus and the love of God the Father and the friendship of the Holy Spirit as a church family. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray and give thanks. And together we say, amen.